Today we're going to start off in John chapter 13. Today I wanted to do a, a, a share a study just basically getting ready for Christmas. Um, you know, it's almost here. We're about a week and a day away from Christmas. And I don't know how you're, you're feeling. I don't know if you're sensing uh, the celebration the way you should. Um, recently, my wife and I were actually talking with another couple after service. And the sister uh, that we were talking to is a new believer. And she told me something kind of surprising. She said that she never knew the true meaning of Christmas until she became a Christian, just a couple of years ago. She never knew that this was about Jesus. And so it's interesting when she told me that, I think that I was kind of educated on the spot. I mean, consider that for a moment, if you would. Here's an adult growing up in the United States of America for over two decades who saw all the lights in front of the houses, all the lights on the trees, all the decorations, who no doubt, you know, bought gifts and, and gave gifts and received gifts and heard the songs. And she saw all that and so much more. And it wasn't just for a day. Think about it. It was for weeks. It was for a season. And she never really knew the true meaning of Christmas. You know, when she told me that, I was uh, surprised but then, um, as I began to open up my eyes, I'm realizing, you guys, that we're seeing this more and more, aren't we? That less and less people really know what Christmas is about, that it's about Jesus Christ. And you know what's even worse is less and less people who do know what it's about really, really care the way that they should. I think what happens a lot of times is we share the glory with other things. That's why one of the songs that we were singing, I was just so blessed that you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. I mean, this is about Jesus. And I think for those who don't know, I mean, you know, that's, you know, that's something that just breaks our heart. You know, I think in India, 2.5% of the population is Christian. So hardly any of them are Christian. But it's a huge celebration in India. Think about that. And so little by little, we see what the enemy is trying to do. And so we have to make sure that we are not distracted with the things the enemy puts in front of us. We have to make sure that we go out of our way, that we celebrate Jesus. Again, I don't want to sound like a Scrooge, and I know I can't judge another man's motives, but let me just share this with you. By our house, as you drive down one of the streets, there's one of those blow-up dolls. I don't know what they're called. 40-foot snowman. Think about that. 40-foot snowman. And again, I don't know the guy. I don't know him personally. And that might impress a lot of people. But listen, it has nothing to do with Christmas. Christmas is not about a snowman. It's not about those types of de decorations. Christmas is about the Son of Man who was born to die for us and to save us from our sins. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Christmas celebration is Matthew 1.21, where the angel told Joseph, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we'll get back to that passage later, but I don't know, that's what, what the Lord kind of laid on my heart uh, tonight. And so the philosopher inside of me wants to celebrate Christmas, but wants to know why 
Christ came. If we're celebrating the day that he was born, if we're celebrating Jesus who came, I always ask those questions. Well, why did Jesus come? And let me give you four reasons tonight that maybe you can write down and that you can maybe meditate on throughout the week. Um, number one, he came to teach us. He came to teach us. Number two, he came to help us, to help us. Number three, he came to show us. And by that, I mean show us who God is. And number four, he came to save us. And I think that's probably the most important one. But when you look at this, and I'm sure there are many other reasons why Jesus came, but these are things to think about so that we can, when it, when it sinks in, we, we, just, we can sing that song, Lord, for you alone are worthy. Lord, for you get all the glory. Don't be distracted with materialism. Or, like if I have to move like something super bulky or heavy, you know, I remember a while back I had to move some furniture and so I called my, my, my buddy Craig and said, hey, Craig, you got big biceps. Can you come and, you know, help me move the furniture? Because sometimes you just, you just have to call somebody, right? And now the things like that, they take place occasionally where I have to call someone for help. But this kind of help is, is a call that needs to take place constantly, Right? I mean, we can't do this on our own. We need help always. John fifteen five says, without him, I can do nothing. Nothing good. Nothing significantly pleasing to God. Nothing. I can't bear any fruit and do anything without him. You know, so what happened was Jesus took on flesh and blood. And we read here in verse 14, it says that we had to... It says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. And so he defeated the devil, he delivered us from the bondage of sin and death, and then we read in verse 16 that he gives aid. Notice again, look at verse 16. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And so the seed of Abraham is not just the Jewish descendants, it's in reference to the children of faith. Abraham was the father of the faith. According to Romans chapter four, verse 13 and 16, he gives aid, he gives help, he gives assistance, and he gives support. And again, we read in verse 18, for that he himself was suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those are tempted. And so we see that God became a man uh, to more effectively help us when we're tested or tempted. Because of the fact that he's actually been here and gone through what we go through, he's able to help us even more efficiently. You know, there's an interesting passage. Uh, turn over to Hebrews 5 and, and look at verse 8. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And so this is something that Jesus could not do unless he became a man, unless he became human, you know, flesh and bones like us. Although he was the Lord, he learned. That's what the Bible says. And you mean, what do you mean, Manny, he learned 
obedience because he's always been there with the father they're eternally existent the father-son relationship has always been there and he's never been disobedient what do you mean he learned obedience well he learned the whole process that human beings go through the whole temptation the the sometimes the emotions and feelings that go with it and he learned exactly how to help us when we're in those situations you know, there's a lot here, you know, but what we find is that God became a man to more effectively help us when we were tested or tempted because of the fact that he's actually been here and gone through what we go through. I remember uh, years back, a uh, true story, uh, I knew a man who wanted to better understand and minister to the homeless population. At first, he thought, you know what I'll do? is I'll go and I'll visit them every day. And, and he did. He would go and minister and talk, but then he would go home. And he soon discovered that it really wasn't enough. In order to fully understand and minister to the homeless, what he decided to do when he realized he had to do was to leave his home and become homeless as well. And I remember when that guy did that, I just thought, man, this is crazy. What, he would leave his beautiful home and all the luxuries and all the comforts, and he actually went out and lived their life. And then I, and I realized that's a small picture of what Jesus did, how he left his throne and he came to a cradle destined for a cross. But why did he do that? because it was really the only way to actually know their lives. What's really going on? What's it really like for them is to enter into their world. I mean, we can have a, a degree, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this word, a degree in myrmecology. Myrmecology, that's the scientific study of ants. But if you really uh, think about it, the only way to really know what it's like to be an ant is to become an ant. How many of you here would say, hey, that'd be cool? Huh. <laughs> to be, if you had the option, hey, you become an ant, and who knows, you go and save them. I don't know, but really the only way to, to know what it's like to be an ant is to become one. I guess you'd be called Ant-Man, huh? Which brings up another question. How do you really know what it's like to be a spider? Spider-Man, right? And so on. <laughs> And I mention those things really because we need to know the power in putting oneself in someone else's shoes. And that's exactly what God did. That's part of the reason he became a man with us and a man like us in order to teach us and in order to more effectively help us. You know, something that's interesting, and, and you see it in the original language here, is the word that's translated aid here in verse 16 and 18, how Jesus came to give us aid, it literally means uh, to run to the cry of a child. You know, to bring help when it's needed. In, in the Greek language, the, the word to cry is boe. Can you guys say that with me? Boe. Boe. That's the Greek word to cry, boe. But the Greek word that's translated aid here is boetheo. Boetheo. And so you see that word cry is, in, is it's woven into the word 
to help. It's woven into the word aid. And that's how God helps us. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who cry out to him. You know, and, and wherever you're at, whatever the situation is, I know there are some people that are going through heavy, heavy trials. Let me just tell you something. If you cry out to God, he will help you. You know, some people need to make that first cry. It's when they first get saved. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I need you. And he'll meet you there. But then what I've learned is it never ends. And that's why my life, to be honest, is just a constant uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where I'm constantly asking him for help. You know, which is an interesting thing because the book of Hebrews talks about things that we're going to see that really bring all this into perspective. Uh, I remember a while back I was studying in my garage and I received a text message from my wife and it just said, help. I need help, dad. That's what she said. You know how Mexican couples, they call each other mom and dad even though they're married, but we do that. And so anyways, when she said that, I, I, she texted that help. I just went into the house. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she wanted me to stir the, the cookie dough, uh, you know, <laughs> which I'm okay with because I like cookies. But, but at the end of the day, just as I helped my wife when she needed help and, and called, God helps us when we need help and call. And since he became a man and took on human flesh, he can help us even more effectively. That's what the Bible says, with more sympathy and literal empathy. And he does it personally. You know, prior to the incarnation, he couldn't have done it the same way. Jesus was spirit, without a body, unable to identify with our human weaknesses. You know, but now he would know what it's like to be a helpless baby, learning to walk and talk. He would know what it's like growing as a child in the wild, a tempted teenager. He would know the human work and, and weariness, hunger and toil and thirst. He would know what it is to be despised and rejected lied to and spit on, falsely accused and lonely and mistreated and on and on and on. Everything you'll ever experience in life. I can promise you this. Jesus knows exactly what it's like. And that's why whenever you call, he will help. You know, when we're celebrating Christmas and, you know, you can get caught up in so many different things. Man, make sure you celebrate Jesus. And, you know, you're thinking, well, why did he come? Well, he came uh, to teach us. He came to help us. If you ever find yourself in any of these situations, any heartache in life, you can call on God and know that he's literally been there and he's able to help you. A lot of times people get caught up in that too. Like, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You've never really experienced it. And Jesus can say, Yes, I have. I know exactly what you're going through. As a matter of fact, an interesting passage is here in Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, God will help us 
in time of need. Now I happen to need him more uh, frequently probably than you do. So I'm thinking a time of need. When's time of need? Time of need for me it seems to be frequently and always. And the Lord is saying, hey, when you're there and you're being tempted, you can come to the throne of grace and I'll help you, Jesus said, because I was, in, I was tempted in all points, every single point you can think of. You know, I think this verse is kind of interesting because a lot of people see the throne of grace only as a place to run to when we sin. And although that is applicable, really the throne of grace here is to, a place to run to in order that we might find power not to sin. And so cool just to know that we have that grace. Someone cuts you off in the freeway, you can ask God for help and not sin. Some guy sees a girl dressed seductively, you can ask God for help, not to sin. And of course, it goes on and on and on. Bottom line is, God became a man so that he can better help us to obey. And so it's so cool when you know these things, why he became a man, why we celebrate Christmas. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, uh, my wife has a list of uh, women right now who are pregnant. And there's actually a pretty good amount of women in our church that are pregnant. And she just goes down that list uh, every day just praying for them. It's really cool. Uh, but then when you think about Jesus, you know, Mary being pregnant, we're getting ready for that day. When you just think of his destiny and the plan, what he was born for. And you realize, wow, it's a reason not to be distracted. It's a reason uh, to focus not on those lights, but on the light of the world. Is he came, number one, to teach me. He came to teach me. He came to help me. He came to help me. And then thirdly, he came to show me. Look, if you would, at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we actually pick it up in verse 7. Jesus said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus saying, when I already have. I mean, he came to teach us. That's why it's so important that you get into this Bible. It's the Word of God. The New Testament is apostolic, connected to Jesus Christ. Let Him teach you. He came to help us. We always need help. Don't be too prideful not to cry out to God. But we've got to do it with sincerity. And He came to show us God. What's God like? What's God like? If you really want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus, just study Jesus. For he came to show us God. And it says right here, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. The question is, however, have you seen him? Not that a lot of times people don't read their Bibles anymore. They're doing a lot of other things. But they're not reading their Bibles. They're not reading the Gospels. You know, I don't know where I would be 
if I wasn't saturating myself in the scriptures every single day, and it's not just five minutes, ten minutes. You know, Jesus told the, the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. Everywhere you read in the Bible, every book, every page, every book, chapter, verse, anywhere, you can open it up anywhere, and it's talking about Jesus. You can preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so when you want to know what God is like, which to me I can't think of really anything more important than what's God really like? Is God like the Muslims say, some mean God who says, well, you go to heaven and you go to hell. In order for you to go to heaven, you've got to earn your way to God. Is that what God is like? No. You know, and you've got a lot of different things. The deists believe that God made everything. He wound up the clock and then he left it. He's no longer personal with us. You know, so many believe in an impersonal God. You've got things like Buddhism and some of those Eastern religions that says God is like a drop in the pond or we're a drop in the pond. It's pantheism, the tree's God. Well, what's God really like? A lot of weird things out there. But Jesus came to show us who God is. And I don't know, I mean, to me, I'm like, wow, that's a great reason to celebrate Christmas. Remember John 1, 1? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you have the Father and the Son right there, face to face, literally is what it says in the Greek. The Word, the Word was with God. Now the Word in the Greek language is the word logos. Logos. Guess what English word we get from that Greek word? Logo. Good job. And so, you know, when you think of the golden arches, what do you think of? McDonald's. And you want french fries. <laughs> Or when you think of that little check mark like that, it's got a little style on it, it's, you know, it's Nike, right? It's, it's a logo, right? I mean, when you can think of different things uh, that are logos, uh, for us, we have a dove. What does that symbolize, the outline of the dove? The Holy Spirit. It almost symbolizes Calvary Chapel because it's kind of cool the way that we, you know, just brought into that, we understood the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, you get those little logos and you realize what they represent. Well, Jesus is the logos. Jesus, when you look at Jesus, now you know what God is like. The Father's not different. The Spirit's not different. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're, they're exactly the same in character, equal in essence and nature. And so, you know, that's why he came. You know, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. You know, the Greek word there, translated image, is icon. You know, it doesn't mean that we can do paintings. It doesn't mean that that's what God looks like physically. Of course not. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit do not have a body. So it's not talking about their body. It's not talking about their physical icon. It's talking about their, their character, their nature. What's God really like? As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, speaking of Jesus, saying he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now the word image there is an interesting word. You'll never guess what it is. And we're learning Greek today. The Greek word 
is the word character. Character, isn't that interesting? That's who Jesus is. He's the, the logo of, of God, the logos, the expression, the word of God. He's the icon, so to speak. When you look at him, you understand what God is like. He is the character of God. And it's an interesting historical word just talking about leaving your mark on someone. And that's who Jesus is. What, what's God really like? Well, he has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you look at Jesus, that's why it's so important. I encourage you, read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Read Mark. Read Luke. And just always read it. Because then you're going to know what God is like. I mean, how is God? When you look at Jesus, what are some of the things that you think about? And there's a lot of things that we can think about. Just how, how gracious he is. I mean, how does God feel uh, about sinners who are sincerely sorry for their sins and come to him by faith, willing and ready to repent? What's, what would God really do if someone did something really wrong, but then they came with a repentant heart? What would God do? Well, we see it in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it be the woman who was caught in adultery and he said, I don't condemn you, or whether it be Peter who denied the Lord. And the Lord forgave him. This is who God is like. He is willing to forgive us. He is so gracious. We learn that about the Lord, huh? I mean, where would you be? Where would I be if the Lord dealt with us according to our sins? Listen, none of us here would be able to survive that. And that's why every time I get ready to minister, Every time I, you know, I have the opportunity to, to teach or do anything, really, I realize it can never be based on my own righteousness. I can't get up here in the pulpit and say, hey, God, I had a great day today. I didn't sin all day long. God would say, yes, you did. You just, you just got prideful right in front of me right there and then. No, even if I did the best day that any man could ever live on the whole planet, all time, no matter who that was, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that his righteousness is like filthy rags. It could never be based on my goodness. Never. It's always based on grace. And I learned that from Jesus. I learned that from the apostles of Jesus who wrote about these things. And so when we look at Jesus, of course, I think we learn he's so gracious and willing to forgive us. But then another thing we learn from Jesus is just how holy God is. Jesus never sinned. And he's so holy. He's so different, right? I mean, how does he feel about the self-righteous hypocrites, greedy for gold in the temple of God, not too good? He takes out those whips and you know, he just drives them out. Why? Because of his holiness. What's God like? Well, we just have to look at Jesus to find out. The children, they, they came to him. He was very approachable. That's what God is like. Um, he was humble, if you think about it. In so many ways, we're going to see later how he washed the disciples' feet. He's loving and he's gracious. You know, what's God like? It's so cool to see that he's willing to teach us. He's willing to help us. He's willing to show us. And then fourthly and the last thing is he came to save us from our sins. 
And for the last one, we go to Matthew chapter 1. And we begin reading in verse 18. Now it says, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And so you guys know the story, right? They were betrothed. It was a strong form of engagement. But hey, she's pregnant, right? It's a crazy situation. Of course, you and I know that she was uh, impregnated by God himself. Isaiah 7.14 says that it would be the virgin, but Joseph didn't know that. In verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. And so Joseph, man, no doubt about it, uh, God chose a good guy, so to speak, you know, uh, for his son's stepdad. And, and what we find is Joseph says, hey, with this situation, I think I'm just going to do this quietly, discreetly. I don't want Mary to be stoned. I'm just going to divorce her uh, in a secret way. But verse 20 says, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting what the angel says as he appears to Joseph in a dream. Don't be afraid. Maybe Joseph wanted to marry her anyways, but this, you know the fear, a lot of times it'll paralyze us. The angel says, don't be afraid to, to take her as wife. And the angel then goes on to explain really the whole purpose of his birth. It says in verse 21, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, which literally it means Jehovah's salvation. Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And, and that's, I, I think out of all of them, obviously, that's the most important one, huh, guys? You know, that we would be saved from our sins. At the end of the day, and especially really at the end of our lives, we need more than a teacher, we need more than a helper, we need more than a model, even a messianic one. When life ends and eternity begins, we need more than just a visitation. We need salvation. And you have it. You, me, think about it. I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. I know what Jesus has done for me because of my faith in him. We have victory over the power and the penalty and the presence of sin. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Sin will no longer have power over me. I will no longer be destined for hell on the lake of fire, the penalty of sin. And one day I will be home in heaven where there is no sin. I'll be set free, completely eradicated from the presence of sin. That's what Jesus has done for us. This is why it's so important that we do this with all of our heart. The, the, the world might call it the holiday tree. No, we call it a Christmas tree. The, the world might say, well, season's greetings, but I won't accept it for a minute. I will say Merry Christmas. I won't be distracted with all these things. Yeah, those are nice lights, but hey, I'm focused on the light of the world. 
And it takes effort. It takes effort even to, to come out to, you know, a Bible study perhaps. You know, to open up your Bible and read, you know, Luke 1 and 2 or, or the gospel stories about Jesus. It, it, it takes effort. Why? Because we're so busy. I got to buy gifts and I got to, you know, wrap gifts and I got to go here and there. And next thing you know, just like when Jesus came the first time, there was no room for him in the end. Be careful, church. You know, for us, we know Luke chapter 2, verse 11, what the angels said to the shepherds, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He came to save us from the power, penalty, and presence of sin by leaving his throne, born, you know, think about it, uh, became a grain of rice in the womb of Mary, eventually born, set in a cradle, 33 years later, he would die on a cross for all of our sins. And when we look at why Jesus came, it's to teach us, and that's amazing, you know, to help us uh, because he became one of us, to, to show us and to save us. It's so amazing when you look at these things. And so we read in Matthew chapter 1, look what it says in verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying in 700 BC, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so when so someone reads that and they say, wait a minute, Manny, time out. You know, I, I thought his name was Jesus. Why does it say here they'll call his name Emmanuel. Well, it's because you have to know the significance, not just of his name, but of his nature. It's kind of like, and I was thinking about this, I know this is probably a silly example, forgive me, um, but I was thinking about Kobe Bryant. Now, his name is Kobe. It's a cool name, Kobe. But what's he also known as? The Black Mamba, right? And there's this, whatever, this nature this, this nature that Kobe had, this drive to win five championships, right? That was his nature. Well, Jesus, his name is, is Jesus, and in and of itself, of course, we know that means it's huge. But, but really, they, they will call his name, at, at the end of the day, also Emmanuel, which is translated, what? God with us. And if you can go through your life knowing that, that God is with you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5, Matthew 28, 20, everywhere you see it, then I think you'll have that heart to celebrate Christmas every day. You know, the best thing we can do to do our part to stop or at least slow down what's happening in this crazy world that wants to rewrite history or erase history or eradicate history, the, the best thing that we could do to make you know, sure that we can do whatever we can to turn this world right side up and this world is trying to take Christ out of Christmas, the, the best thing we can do for, to them, to help them is to make sure it doesn't happen to me. And so here we are, uh, getting ready for Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I just need that reminder. Jesus, you came. And there's, these are just four things. 
But imagine all the different reasons why Jesus came. And so we celebrate Jesus. I pray that you guys would do that. I pray that you would make sure that you don't substitute that you know, Christmas tree for the Calvary tree or the lights that you see for the light of the world. You don't, you know, misunderstand. You know, a lot of times people in the world has a crazy way of doing it. They're substituting all the Christmas songs that were supposed to be about Christ with seasonal songs without Christ. You know, don't substitute Santa Claus justifying it with the good deeds of St. Nicholas. No, we read it, we, we sang it earlier today. All the glory goes to him. I won't share that glory with anyone or anything else. Imagine going to a birthday party. We'll close with this. Imagine going to a birthday party. You don't even know whose birthday it is. That'd be weird, huh? You probably couldn't even give him a gift. You gotta know whose birthday it is. Well, listen, this is Jesus' birthday. And the Father gave his son. So what gift will you give to him? Give him your heart. Let's do that.